Great to be back in Northland. We love this place and because uh, God does. And uh, I was sharing with the leaders. We were praying and I just felt the phrase come out of my mouth yesterday. Uh, God wants Northland to be the jewel of New Zealand. And uh, that's his intention. I really believe that. And of course, the enemy works to make it anything but that. But I believe that's a, I believe that's a prophetic word. And I really do believe that God's going to do that in the years to come. So uh, we love coming up and investing in what God is doing here in Northland. Tonight, uh, we're going to share tonight on some prophetic uh, insights for 2018. So you won't want to miss that because God is speaking a whole lot of things across the earth. Uh, We're going to share some of the most important things that we think He's saying. And that's just going to really help you position for this year. So please come, bring some friends, uh, and there'll be Holy Spirit encounter ministry nights. It's just going to be a lot of fun. So, But this morning, um, just praying before the meeting, I felt like, you know that scripture, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And I just think that what Greta and I share with you this morning, God's intention is that you hear something of His heart, that you catch it, and that as you really hear it, not just there, but here, that your faith is elevated. Uh, because I believe God is wanting to give increased faith to His people so that things that He wants to do in your life can be accomplished. And they're always accomplished by faith. So trust as you listen this morning, you're going to be blessed. But more than that, your faith level will rise. All right. Well, the word that I'm going to share is this. Your father earns it all. And it's, it's a word about, of encouragement about provision and God your provider. You know, Jeremiah 3.4 expresses God's desire for us to call him my father, my friend. And I'm feeling he's wanting to teach us a fresh new way to pray, to ask your father, to ask your friend. Ask your friend. You know, in Luke 11, Jesus told a story. A man goes to his friend at midnight and asks his friend for bread, even though he's fast asleep. But the man asks his friend boldly with complete assurance because it is his friend after all. He knows him and he knows exactly what his response is going to be. And we read it in verse 8. The friend gives him as much bread as he needs. Ask God your friend boldly with complete assurance. He will give you as much bread as you need. Immediately before the story, his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, I honor your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Immediately after the story, Jesus said this, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Everyone who asks, receives. Ask your Father. In Matthew 7, 9, Jesus was speaking about children with with an earthly father, and he said if a child asks his earthly father for bread, his father will give him bread because he knows how to give good gifts to your children. To, the, to their children. And then he said this, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
And Jesus also said, when you pray, do not keep babbling repetitively with many words. Your father knows what you need before you even ask him. I can remember when I, as, when I was a child, when I asked my, fir, my earthly mom and dad for food, they always gave it to me. I never, ever had to go and beg them, please, please feed me. You know, any good parents, it's unthinkable that allow their child to starve. Likewise, never beg your father. Just ask and simply receive and say, thank you, Father. He is a good kind, generous Father. This is our wonderful Father in heaven. And you know, here is the key to confidently ask with that complete boldness and assurance that you will receive what you need. This is it. You know that God is your Father and you understand His heart towards you. We've got a PowerPoint coming up. There's a little boy standing in front of a bakery shop. Now imagine this. Imagine he's hungry and he's got a 20-cent coin in his pocket. That coin can't buy him anything. It's just not enough. We can sometimes be like this. We think lack. We think poverty mentality, like a spiritual orphan. Now imagine a totally different scenario. Same boy, same 20 cents. But his father owns the store. That changes everything. Suddenly, it just is all different. It doesn't matter how much that money that boy has in his pocket. He can go behind the counter and he can ask his daddy for anything he wants. Next PowerPoint coming up. He has access to everything in that store through relationship. Your father owns the store. In actual fact, your father owns it all. The entire earth and everything in it belongs to him. That's what the word of God says. And you are his precious beloved child. You know, he he smiles on you. His favor is upon you. He, He shines on you. He sings over you. You are his treasure and his pleasure. He takes great delight in you. Um... You are loved as you are with an incredible love. And this is what your father says to you. It's exactly what the father said in the story in in Luke 15 that Jesus told. My son, my daughter, everything I have is yours. And we have this incredible promise. I close with this in Philippians 4.19. My God... My provider, my father, will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You know, when I know my father owns it all, and when I know he delights to generously provide for me, it changes everything. It changes my perspective. It changes how I pray. I ask, as a dearly beloved child, I ask my father, I ask my friend. Thanks, sweetheart. I love that. He owns the store. You don't have to beg. It's not dependent on your resource. It's dependent on his resource. And the only currency that God needs from you and me is faith. That's what he's looking for, faith and trust 
in his goodness and in his character. So I want to share with you a message called His Eye is on the Sparrow. It sort of complements what Greta has been sharing this morning. And before I get to that, we have brought a few of our books uh, with us uh, down on the back table. Um, this one, uh, um, I've, there, there are some of our books, Afterlife on Death and What's Beyond the Grave, etc. This book, Hope, I brought some copies. Um, it's called Hope, Finding the Gateway to a Better Future. And that's really my story with my first wife and uh, her battle with uh, being stuck in a wheelchair for more than 20 years and all that God taught us through that. And it's based on the scripture, uh, Hosea 2.15, I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. And uh, that's what God promises to do. Yet many people get stuck in a valley of trouble because we all hit valleys of trouble. Is that right? In life, trouble is always going to happen to us. And um, and it's really important that we don't get trapped in that valley, but we discover the keys to, that will transform all those troubles into gateways of hope, stepping stones to the future. So this book is about how valleys of trouble can become transformed into gateways or doorways of hope. So please check it out. If you know somebody that needs a bit more hope in their life or is going through a bit of a difficult time, this will really help them. Love to give that copy away. Who would like it? You would like it. There you go. Enjoy the read. Bless you. Uh, the, the sort of the background as to why I wrote this message, and by the way, my, our ministry is prophetic. And so in the prophetic, uh, there's sort of three elements. Uh, Bible says one who prophesies speaks to people to edify them, exhort them, and comfort them. Edify is build up, exhort is stir up, and comfort is cheer up. And I like the exhort part because I like to see people passionate and on fire for Jesus. So that's kind of my default I, in the prophetic. But this message is comfort, and it's a cheer up message. And it's to encourage you is what Greta's brought. And the reason this came about is that in our <clears throat> house the last few years, uh, a little family of sparrows has made a nest in the corner of the roof. And I was irritated to begin with, thinking, like, they're going to muck things up. And then the blight has spread to the second corner of the house. And so there was a, another community of them. And, and yet I observed these sparrows every day. They Every morning they're fluttering all around the house and... They are picking little insects off the bricks and off the windows. And so I began to warm to them because they're helping clean my house. I thought, I like these little fellows. And I didn't think much more of it, but I was asking the Lord for a new message. And he was reminding me about these sparrows that um, were uh, in the house. And I, and I, um, and I remembered Psalm 84.3 coming up on the screen. It says, <clears throat> excuse me, even the sparrow has found a home. And the swallow, a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. What the psalmist is saying is that basically those sparrows had made a nest in the temple somewhere, in the roof of the temple. So even in God's house, these little guys were making a nest. And I was thinking about this. And then we came up here last November to, um, to do a seminar. And on the Sunday morning, some of you might remember, Greta was sharing, and a little sparrow flew in and started jumping all around behind her. And I'm thinking, all right, Lord, you're getting the message through to me. Do something on sparrows. And of course, as I started thinking it, I just began to see sparrows everywhere. You know when you're going to go and buy a car and you've worked out the model you want? Then you suddenly see the same car on the road all over the place. You didn't notice it before, but now you can't help but see those, whatever they're going to be. And I'm just 
seeing sparrows everywhere, and uh, I'm getting the message that I felt like that the, you know, see, one of the ways that God speaks is through natural signs, and Greta's going to share some amazing natural signs tonight that God is using to speak to us right now. And, uh, and so if you've got an eye to see it, you can see what God is saying, and, uh, and I'm getting, okay, Lord, you're, you are highlighting this little bird for a reason, for a reason. And I believe that God is speaking prophetically through the sparrow right now. And that the sparrow is going to become an important prophetic symbol or mascot for the church in the days that lie ahead. Uh, the meaning of the word sparrow comes from an old English name, sparwi. And sparwi means flutterer or quiverer which is exactly what sparrows do. They flutter all over the place. They quiver. Quiver means to tremble or shake with a slight rapid motion. And, um, and I believe that the Lord is using uh, the sparrow as a symbol for his people to say to us uh, a lot of things, but I'm going to just zero in on two things today that I believe that the sparrow is a prophetic symbol for. One is Freedom. Freedom. In Hosea eleven ten to 12, it says, They, that's the children of God, will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt trembling like sparrows. From Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. And of course, this was speaking to Israel who was in captivity that God was going to bring them back to the land. And we're seeing a supernatural fulfillment of that today in our generation. But I believe it also speaks to all of God's people, not just Israel of old, but also to the church of Jesus Christ. And I think in this first realm, you know, God is roaring across the earth because he's got some of his kids that are no longer walking with him. And he is roaring to his children to come out of captivity to sin, out of captivity to addiction and bondage, to come back into a place of liberty and freedom, because Jesus never died on a cross to give us a half-baked Christianity. He died on a cross to give us a liberated Christianity, free from the power of sin, free from the power of addiction, free from powerlessness and religion. He died for the full thing. He said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And yet sometimes many of God's children go off astray into areas we shouldn't and we become bound in sin and addictions or offense towards God, or maybe we don't go off, we start feeling a little lukewarm and half-hearted, and God is roaring into the earth, not in anger, but in love. He's letting out the roar to call His people back into that relationship with Him. And I believe in this next season, we're going to see many Christians who have been struggling with areas get free, and we're going to see many prodigal sons, many who once walked with God but no longer do, come back into fellowship with the Lord. If you have children or grandchildren or friends or relatives that are away from the Lord right now, this is a good time to be praying for them, asking God that they'll hear His roar and they'll return from their captivity back into the presence of God. You know, when my first wife, Jane, and I were, uh, w when she was alive and one of our sons uh, was at high school, he got involved in the drug scene. 
And, uh, you know, it was quite bad. And so at 14 and a half, he left college and never completed his education. And, and, uh, and he just got deeper and deeper into the drug scene, finally ended up in, the, uh, you know, dealing, with, uh, meth, dealing in methamphetamine and taking it. And, and he was in that scene for 12 years. And we had to make a decision. How are we going to handle that? What were we going to do with that? Because, you know, he's a pastor's kid. And uh, so much pressure gets put on pastor's kids. And I just had to forget about what people think. What are we going to do? What are, how are we going to handle this? And the Lord led us to do two things. Number one, love him unconditionally. And number two, pray unceasingly. So that's what we did for 12 years. We loved him unconditionally. Didn't matter what he was doing. Uh, you know, we let him know that what he is doing is destructive. We weren't silent about that, but we loved him unconditionally, and we just prayed. We just kept praying and praying, God, bring him back. God, break that thing. And, and, and you know, one day he came around home, and as he was leaving, he said, Dad, how come you and Mom love me like you do? I said, Son, we love you not because of what you do. We love you because you're our son. And that just settles it. And he left, and just soon after his mum passed away, that was back nearly 10 years ago, and just over 10 years ago, his mother passed away, and we've shared that story before. Um, he soon after came back to the Lord, and this is my theory. I figured that he thought, mum was praying for me fervently on earth. Now she's in heaven face to face with Jesus. I don't stand a chance. I might as well give in now. And so he came back to the Lord. And you know, some people come to the Lord and it's like dramatic and all their burdens are broken off them and they just totally change. And yet other people come back to the Lord and they've got baggage. And it sometimes takes a process of years of walking with Jesus for that baggage to be broken off. And that's really been his story. And, and um, you know, just, just a slow and steady growth in God um, where he's, God's been working change into his life. And he got into a wonderful church in Auckland. And he's one of the leaders there. And, and just his life has become transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, because God roared in response to our prayer, and he came running back. And you know, this last week, he just started at Bible college. Uh, he's just going out. He said, Dad, I felt like God told me over the holidays, you got to get to Bible college. And you know, he, were, he was earning a six-figure salary. A uh, kid that didn't even finish his education, earning a six-figure salary. But he said, no, I'm just, I'm going to Bible college. And he's given away that, and he's just going to pursue God. And I just think that is an amazing sign of transformation. But you know what? If you love unconditionally and you pray unceasingly, those in captivity will come back. If you judge them, if you condemn them, they'll keep running. So you've got to love. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn sinners. I came to save them. So we should have the same attitude. The second area that I believe God is speaking to us through the sparrow. It's not only this thing of freedom, but also he's highlighting his care and protection. Matthew 10, 29 and 31 says, Jesus, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. How many of you remember pre-1967 when we had pounds, shillings, and pence? Any hands here? This ages us all, doesn't it? We had pounds, shillings, and pence. You know, like 
20 shillings to a pound and 12 pennies to a shilling and all of that stuff. And then we went decimal, which is a lot easier, dollars and cents. Well, a penny, when we changed over in 1967, a penny became worth two cents. Two cents isn't very much. And yet back in Bible days, for a penny or two cents, you could buy two sparrows because they were that cheap. They were that common. Like they're just a, you know, it's just pretty much worthless. I mean, we don't even have a two cent coin anymore, do we? Because what could you buy with two cents these days? Go into a shop here, I've got two cents. A shop owner would laugh at you. We don't even have a five cent coin anymore because that's pretty worthless as well. You know, when we go to England, they still have pennies and, and the heavy things in your wallet. I hate them. <laughs> Why don't they get rid of these things? But uh, you can't buy much for two cents. But back in Bible days, for a penny, you could get two sparrows. And, and the reason people bought sparrows is that they were for snacks. They'd roast them. I know this feel, feels gross. And no sparrows were harmed in the making of this sermon, all right? So I just want to uh, make sure that you know that. And, uh, and then... Uh, in Luke 12, 6 and 7, Jesus says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth, worth more than many sparrows. So you can understand typical, um, typical business uh, acumen of the Jews. That here's a guy selling sparrows. And people would buy them for snacks. Or they, and, or they would buy them to offer in the temple because poor people could not maybe afford a lamb or a dove or, you know, whatever that they used to sacrifice. And so it was permissible to sacrifice a sparrow. So he, here's this Jew, he's going to the temple and he needs a couple of sparrows to offer to the priest. And he goes to the, to the vendor and the guy says, well, you can have two sparrows for one penny. Yeah, I can afford that. But he says, if you spend two pennies... I'll throw in one free. So you can have five for two pennies. Oh, that's a good bargain. Puts his two pennies down, gets, walks away with five sparrows. What Jesus is saying is these are an incredibly cheap bird. Like they're pretty much worthless. They're so common, they're everywhere. And what Jesus is trying to tell us, if my Father in heaven cares about one sparrow that falls to the ground, Aren't you worth much more than a sparrow? Won't he also care about you? Are not the very heads, the number heads on your head numbered? For some of us, that's got a little less over the years, but they are numbered anyway. If God knows the numbers of hairs on your head, he knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, he cares for every part of his creation. Won't he also care for you? For Jesus said, you are worth more than many sparrows. And yet we doubt it. We doubt that God cares and loves for us that much. And yet it's the truth. Because you see, the devil works overtime to tell us that we're worthless, useless. You've done this. You've done that. Look at that fault. Look at that sin in your life. Look at this. And points out all our faults. And we, if we start listening to the lies of the devil and become fault sensitive and, and uh, looking inward. You know, Corrie ten Boom said, when I look in, I get depressed. But when I look up at Jesus, I find rest. 
And when the devil gets us turned inward on all our faults, we start to shrink and feel condemned and worthless. And we think, oh, maybe God doesn't love us. Yes, he does. See, he doesn't love you based on your condition. He loves you based on your position. You've had faith in Jesus to save you. You're washed in the blood of the lamb. And you and I are not yet perfect, but we're straining to be perfect. Is that right? I'm not talking to you if you say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Then you go out and do whatever you want and you sin. Oh, I'll just ask God to forgive us. And that's mockery of the grace of God. The grace of God that has saved you and me is working in us to bring perfection and holiness and purity. You'll never become holy by law. It's only by the grace and goodness of Almighty God. It's only when you understand how much He loves you that that will motivate you to want to love Him back. I can never pay Jesus back by the way I live. Like sometimes I I used to make the mistake, Lord, I want to live a really holy life just somehow to pay you back for going to the cross and dying in my place. You can never pay Jesus back. We don't even, we're not even meant to earn our salvation. It's a free gift. He paid for us. When you have faith in him, you receive the gift. But what I can do, it's like, okay, Lord, I can't pay you back, but I can live in a way that brings pleasure to your heart. That's what I want to do, bring pleasure to the heart of my Savior. And uh, we just need to know that the devil's a liar. And if God takes care of a common little insignificant bird like a sparrow, won't he much more take care of us? And so every time you see a sparrow out there now, I want you to remember God cares for me way more than that little bird. And yet he cares for that little bird, knows everything about it. You know, the early uh, North American Indians, uh, they used to have a unique practice for training young men to become braves or warriors. And they would take these young men and they would um, teach them all about hunting and fishing and scouting and how to navigate around the land and all of that stuff and how to fire a bow and use a knife and all of that. They would teach them. And uh, they would train them, the elders of the village and the men of the village and, the, and the, the boy's father. And so by the time he got to 13, he was trained in all these skills of a warrior. But there was one more test he had to pass before they would allow him to become a fully-fledged brave, wear the war paint and go out with the other men of the tribe on raids or on hunting trips And that one last test was that the the boy, the 13-year-old boy, was blindfolded one evening and he would be led out of the village by some of the other warriors and he would be led away from the village. He didn't know where he was going. He was blindfolded. He would be led into a very dense forest and there he would be left on his own to spend the night in the forest on his own. He'd take off the blindfold, but of course it was pitch dark. He couldn't see anything. There he had to endure this eight hours of darkness. And you can imagine this boy in the forest. And every time a wolf howled, he'd jump. Is that thing coming for me? Every time he heard an owl hoot, he'd get a scare. Maybe a twig, he'd hear a twig snap. Is that a bear or what is that? And so the, the fear that would be coming into his heart that he had to combat to get through the night in the forest. He'd sleep fitfully, and finally, dawn would come. Daylight would come, 
And then he began to see his surroundings. He looked around. He sees all the dense trees. He sees the flowers and the plants. He sees the path that he was led into the forest on. He goes, phew, I've made it. And then as he lifts up his eyes, just a few hundred meters away, he sees the figure of a man standing among the trees. And as he draws near to see who this man is, he sees that it's his father standing there with bow and arrow, knife at his side. The father had been watching over his boy all night to protect him from any danger. But the boy thought he was completely on his own, and he passed the test, and he becomes a warrior. I want to say to you, church, God cares for us all night long. And some of us go through the long night of the soul where things aren't very easy to handle, where there's losses or there's difficulty or there's trouble, and it's called the night of the soul, that suffering, that that where you feel like you're on your own and nobody cares, and you feel like there's a threat of danger and the enemy is encroaching upon you, and you need to know that when you feel all alone, when you feel like you're in the night, your Father is with you and He's watching over you. He cares, He protects He protects us all night long. How many have heard of a man called Ira Sankey? Ira Sankey. Give me a wave if you have, two or three of you. Ira Sankey was a singer and hymn writer in the 1800s who worked with an evangelist called D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody would hold evangelistic crusades throughout the United States of America and the uh, sort of the mid to late 1800s, uh, saw hundreds of thousands of people come to Christ. And the way D.L. Moody ran his meetings is he'd always have a singer, a bit like Billy Graham always had a singer. I forget the guy's name, the singer that was with Billy Graham's, anyway, some of you will know it, and uh, Barrow, somebody Barrow. And, um, and so Ira Sankey was the singer. He would sing these wonderful songs and and lead the people in worship, then D.L. Moody would come on and preach the Word of God. And, of course, D.L. Moody was famous, and so Ira Sankey became very, very well-known, very famous in the United States in the 1800s. And one Christmas Eve in 1875, he was traveling on a steamboat up one of the United States' great rivers, and there were a number of passengers who recognized him. They said, oh, won't you just sing us a hymn because it was Christmas Eve? Won't you sing us a hymn? And so Ira Sankey obliged them, and he began to sing um, a hymn, which opens with, We are yours, do befriend us, be the guardian of our way. And he sang this wonderful hymn, and they, as he finished it, they clapped him and thanked him, and the crowd dissipated. And as the crowd was dissipating, a man stepped up toward him and said to him, Mr. Sankey, Did you ever fight in the Civil War of a few years ago? Yes, I did. Were you in the Union Army, the Bluecoats? Yes, I was. Can you remember if you were doing guard duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862 at such and such a place? And Ira Sankey looked shocked. He said, yes, that was me. I was doing guard duty that night. I remember the night well. He said, well, and this, this man said, well, So was I doing guard duty, but I was serving in the Confederate Army, the Greycoats, the enemy. And when I saw you standing at your post, I thought to myself, that fellow will never get away alive. I raised my musket and I took aim at you. 
I was standing in the shadow completely concealed while the full light of the moon was falling on you. At that instant, just as a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven and you began to sing. And the song you sang then was the song you sang just now. And I heard the words perfectly. We are yours. Do befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Those words stirred many memories. I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother. She had many times sung that same song to me. When you had finished your song, it was impossible for me to take aim again. I thought the Lord who is able to save that man from certain death must be surely great and mighty. And my arm of its own accord dropped limp at my side. Wow. He's about to buy a bullet. But in that moment of doing guard duty at night, which most soldiers are very annoyed at having to do guard duty in the middle of the night, he wasn't complaining. What was he doing? He was singing. And he sung that hymn. And how did he know that that Confederate soldier that was aiming at him, his mother had sung the same hymn. Sankey could have chosen any hymn to sing, but God in his providence, he began to sing that hymn, and it saved his life. That's God's care. That's God's protection. Because God had a destiny for Ira Sankey, and it wasn't that his life be snuffed out in 1862 doing guard duty in some place in the south of America. And I want to say to you, you know, when the enemy takes aim at you, when you begin to praise, when you begin to sing, when you begin to worship God, I tell you what, that disarms all the weaponry of the enemy that he's strategized against you. There is power in prayer. There's power in praise and worship. And particularly when you're going through the long night of the soul and you're afraid and you're discouraged and maybe a little bit annoyed at God because he hasn't answered you or done this or done that. But when you choose to overcome those feelings and begin to praise him and begin to thank him, Tell you what, the enemy's weaponry is disarmed. Your enemy, the devil, may take aim at you, but he can do nothing outside of God's will because God is watching over us. Close with one more story. In 1904, a songwriter called Sevilla Martin was visiting a bedridden friend in New York, and she went to see her friend who had been sick for many years and confined to her bed, she asked her friend if she ever got discouraged because of her physical condition. And this is what her friend said. She said, how can I be discouraged when my heavenly father watches over me? Sorry, when my heavenly father watches over each little sparrow and I know he loves and cares for me. Sevilla Martin was so touched by what her friend said in the midst of this terrible suffering that on her way home, on the train or whatever, she wrote a song. She called it, His Eye is on the Sparrow. And that song, some of you will know, it's gone around the world since 1904, and it's blessed hundreds of millions of believers. And here are a few of the words. Whenever I'm tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing and when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him. From care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And the chorus says, I sing because I am happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me.
Whenever I see a sparrow these days, whenever I feel a bit down, whenever I get into trouble, I'm thinking, Lord, your eye is on the sparrow. You're watching over me. Hallelujah. And I want you to see now, church, every time you see a sparrow out there, I want you to think of God's goodness, God's protection, God's care, God's call into greater freedom. Because if his eye is on the sparrow, knowing all about that, he surely is watching over you and me, because we are far more worth than a sparrow. And in a moment, we're going to sing a great song called You're a Good, Good Father. And perhaps the music team would like to come now and get ready for that. And we're going to use this song to just reaffirm our confidence in the goodness of God, just to declare again this morning that whatever you're going through, you know God is a good, good Father. But just before we get to sing that song, I want to tell you that this Father that I'm talking about, God, He is a good, good Father. But listen, sadly, He can't be a Father to all the people on earth, though He made us all. And in a sense, we're all His sons and daughters, but there are many lost sons and daughters. And so there has to be a way in which we connect to the Father. And Jesus told us, and this is what Jesus said in John 14, 6. He said, I, Jesus, am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You cannot get to Father God and get into His love and care and protection unless you go through Jesus. No religion on earth has a doorway into acceptance by Father God. And people can try and do all sorts of religious works, but it'll never get them through the door. Jesus said, I'm the door to the Father. I'm the way to the Father. Why did he say that? Because he's the only one that died on a cross for your sin. Your sin and mine keeps us separated from a holy Father. And though he loves us, and though it breaks his heart that we're away from him, he's ever calling us, ever roaring, saying, come back. And Jesus, his son, is the way back. And when people receive Jesus and ask him to forgive them from their sins. The Bible says, Father accepts us. We're born again as children of God. We become sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. Acts 4.12 says, no other name under heaven. Buddha won't save you. Muhammad won't save you. Religious works won't save you. Jesus is the living Son of God. God so loved this world, He so loved you and me that He gave His only Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Wow. Have you ever received Jesus? Have you ever asked Him to forgive you? Because we're going to allow an opportunity in a moment for people here this morning to receive Jesus into your life and get connected to this wonderful Father that wants to care and protect us, lead us on His pathway. Maybe you once walked with Jesus long ago, but you've walked right away from God. And today you know He, like my son, was away from God. He's calling you back, calling you back because of His great love. Can we all just shut our eyes to help us concentrate this morning? And uh, I'm just simply going to ask you, If you know, and I want you to concentrate right now, no talking, please, no looking around. I want you to close your eyes and just really, this is a moment that is so important in your life. And I'm going to ask you, if you know that you need to give your life to Jesus, or you need to come back to Him this morning, 
going to simply ask you to raise your hand right where you're sitting. If that's you, just lift your hand up right now. Hold it up high. I'll acknowledge it. God bless you, young, young boy, right down the back. Thank you, son. You can put your hand down. God bless you. Anyone else? Is a young boy. It's a little boy. He's first put his hand up. Yeah, I've seen your hand, son. Thank you. You can put it down again. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. You're coming back to Jesus. Thank you, sir. God bless you right here. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. You're coming to him. If I haven't seen it, keep it up. Wave it at me. I'll acknowledge it. Got it. Thank you. Anyone else? Just.